You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. This message comes from our 2014 Desperation Conference, Jesus Reigns. For more information, visit us at desperationonline.com. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We're going to go for this tonight. Everything you got. Mark 12, 28. This is a great moment. Jesus declares what he wants from us. And I want you to hear this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then, I want you to see this, not just in the NIV, that's cool, but I want you to see this in the message, because this gripped me a little bit when I read this in the message. One of the religion scholars came up hearing the lively exchanges of question and answer and seeing how sharp Jesus was in his answers. He put in his question, which is the most important of all the commandments? And Jesus said, the first in importance is, listen, Israel, the Lord, your God is one. So love the Lord, your God with all your passion. Let me read that again. Love the Lord, your God with all your passion passion. One more time. Love the Lord, your God with all your, that's a big word right there. All. I thought I was going to say passion. All. That's a big word. Love the Lord, your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. Well, sometimes when we just read, love the Lord, your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're like, okay, I love you with my soul. I don't know that I love you with my strength, you know, but these words kind of get us. These are contemporary words. These are words that we use. We'll talk a lot about what we're passionate about. Talk a lot about intelligence. We'll use words like energy. And Jesus says here, I want all. So they come to him. They say, hey, tell us what's the greatest commandment. And Jesus doesn't answer in the language of law. He answers in the language of love. And he says, I want you to love the Lord your God with your passion, with all that you've got. We're talking on the inside. Tonight, I want to title this message, One Passion. This passion, what you've got going on on the inside. I I know I sang a song to you earlier, and John Egan loves to make fun of me because it's usually where the worship leader sings and then the preacher preaches. But in our case, he sings the songs and then I sing songs. But I want you to get your lights up. Here we go. Get them up just like this. Get your lights up if you know this song. Renat and I were uh, driving. Yeah, there they are. Bring them out. That's good. Renat and I were driving. We're in our minivan. And I, and, and I love my 1999 minivan. It's my favorite. And uh, we're driving in the van. And I realized that this is the first generation in history to be discipled by vegetables. Yeah. Because, go ahead, keep those lights up. Get them up. No, I want cell phone lights everywhere. There we go. If you don't have a cell phone, then just you can hold your wallet up or something. But <laughs> keys, no, don't do keys. That's loud. But we're driving and, and, and I'm listening to vegetables sing. I've got four kids. They're all in the back of the van. Dawson, Olivia, Adeline, and Justice. And Renata and I, we believe that discipleship can happen in the van. We're trying to make disciples of our kids in the van. And we're singing worship songs to God in the van. And we've got a vegetable 
Larry and Bob leading us in worship. Song comes on. And we sang it. Started. Started. And we just started. It's just started. And then I think you know the song. In fact, let's just sing it. It goes like this. Sing it with me. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Come on, sing it like you know it. Come on. Here you go. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. I hate that song. I looked at Renata and I turned it off. And I said, no. Our children will not listen to this. And she looked at me baffled like, what's wrong with you? And I said, no, we don't sing that song. And she said, okay. I began to explain because I know that the original intent of the song was this. All of us play a small part and we've all got to be faithful and little. And I'm sure that whoever wrote that song, that the goal was you don't feel like your part feels like a big part. So be a little light and that's okay because together all these little lights make a big light. And I'm sure that's kind of the theological idea. But when I was a child singing that song, that is not at all what I heard. What I heard was I got a little light. That's me. I got this little light inside of me. I'm going to let it flicker. I've got this little tiny light inside of me. I'm going to let it shine. It's little flicker. Barely there. This little light inside of me. I'm going to let it flicker, let it flicker, let it flicker, let it flicker. That's, that's kind of how I saw it. So I looked at Renata and I said, I don't... I don't want to sing that song. I don't want my kids to sing that song because I don't want my kids to believe that idea. Because in my brain, as a kid, I started to think that truth be told, I just needed to have this. I started to connect it with like a lot, like light, like passion, like zeal, like what's going on in the inside. This, this little tiny light inside of me in terms of passion and even how it Lights up the world. How much expression, how much it literally lights up and it shows righteousness, proclaims the gospel, is bold, is zealous. And I started to see that as, you know what? It's okay to have this little light. And I began to sing that doctrine, this little light inside of me. It's okay to have a little light. This little light in me, I'm just going to let it flicker. It's just this little tiny light. As I got older, I started to read the Bible. I started to read about guys like John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, Jesus said of him that he was a burning and a shining lamp. Ha! Jesus didn't call him the little light that flickered. Now, Jesus spoke of John the Baptist, who was wholly set apart to God, called himself a voice crying out in the wilderness, was a man that gave himself to preaching Declaring repentance, living holy, and Jesus gave reference to him. He actually used a light analogy and he said his life, the quality of his life, the way it sounds like, you could call it a burning and a shining lamp. Isaiah prophesied, Isaiah 62, he said that righteousness would shine forth like the dawn. He's talking about us. Righteousness. Shining forth, the people of God, 
bright, like the morning. Not the little light, not the little cell phone light. The sun. It's bright. So I looked at Renata and I said, okay, let's teach them a new song. Come on, Dawson. Put the Wii down. Olivia, look at me. Justice, stop eating. Here we go. You hear this. You can sing the song. Here's how it goes. This all-consuming burning lamp inside of me. I'm going to let it shine. This all-consuming light inside of me. I'm going to let it shine. This burning lamp, this shining heart inside of me. I'm going to let it burn, let it burn, let it burn, let it burn. I say that to say this. I believe in our culture. As I've hung out in this culture all my life. I believe that we so easily create a category that says it's okay to not be a burning lamp. I mean, imagine if Jesus were to talk about you. Would he say it's a lamp? He was a lamp that burned. He shined. The quality of his life, the way that he followed me and loved me, the level of sacrifice, the level of fruit and maturity and boldness and effectiveness. It's like, what what would Jesus say about you? And I think it's so easy for us in our culture to say, okay, I'm going to create a category that says it's okay to not be on fire for God. And we create our own category. And somehow it's so often the norm and we look at people that are extravagant and we want to say that's a kind of extreme Christianity. But when I read Jesus, I don't see Jesus talking that way. I see Jesus talking in the language of us surrendering all and giving everything to him. Tonight, I want to encourage you to burn, to shine. And I hate, I hate the mockery of the phrase on fire. I hate it. I hate the way that people often make fun of being on fire because my dream and my passion is that we would be on fire for decades. I had a, uh, I was in the ninth grade. I was in the ninth grade. I sat at a pizza joint with a uh, pizza joint, pizza restaurant, pizza store, pizza shop, pizza place, pizza place. Sat at a pizza place. It's a nice guy, good guy. He's in his early 20s. And, uh, and I was leading prayer meetings every day on my campus in ninth grade. And we were seeing God do some awesome things in ninth grade. I was, I was pretty on fire. I was pretty excited about, what, about God. And I'd led some of my friends to Christ. and I was reading Keith Green. and I was reading the book about Keith Green. I was singing his songs. and it was, I, was just, I was just going for it. And I just remember having this conversation with this guy. And, you know, to a, to a 14-year-old, a guy who's in his 20s is old. You know, like, man, if you can grow facial hair, you're old, you know. Some of you 14-year-olds can grow facial hair, but I couldn't until I was 19. So I remember talking to him, and he said this. He said, David, he goes, I, uh, I just want to encourage you because I love that you're so passionate now. He said, but I want to be here for you because the passion's going to die. And he said, this is common. It's, it's called youthful zeal. And he said, I, 
And he's trying, he was, he was kind hearted. It was what he really thought. But he said, I just want, I just want you to know it's going to die. And I just want you to know that I'm here for you. Well, what, what that did for me was that, that made me question, that made me wonder and kind of have a resolve in my heart. Kind of this resolve that said, I don't, I don't believe that has to be true. I, 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 don't, I, don't want it, I don't want passion to die. Sometimes it's easy for us to say, well, because of difficult circumstance, because people will inevitably let you down, because leaders will disappoint you, because parents will fall short. Maybe because people will say mean things to you. Maybe because there's a doctrine that creates some kind of intellectual confusion in your head. Maybe because you have a bad experience at church. Maybe because someone that says they love Jesus says something mean to you. For some reason, there's something that justifies you becoming a victim and becoming bitter and saying, I'm going to check out on passionate Christianity and I'm going to settle for a lukewarm state. And it happens all the time. And then there's this idea that looks at even you, 16-year-old with hands raised, Singing, where there is no way, you make a way. Singing, I love you, Jesus. Singing these songs. And people kind of go, oh, yeah, it's cute. It's youthful passion. And then there's this cynical bitterness in the back of their heart that goes, yeah. One day they'll see. The hardship of life. The pain. Disappointment. Inability to sustain fervor. There'll be a day they'll become bitter, cynical, and half-hearted like me. So let's put a category on them and just call it youthful passion. Youthful zeal. Here's my problem with that whole mantra that I faced and that I hear and that I hate. My problem is is that I have seen... I have seen and known men and women that have been on fire. Nope, no joke, on fire. And I'm using that, and I, I want to read, I like that on fire term. I hate it when people, ooh, on fire. Yeah, I like it. You're yeah, on fire. I'm saying it. I have known too many men and women that have been on fire for God as children, teenagers, 20s, 50s, 70s, on into their 80s. I've seen a man in his 80s with tears in his eyes as he talks about Jesus. On this very stage this weekend, you've seen it. You've seen Dick Eastman up here with white hair in his 70s and for 40 years. 40 years. Enough passion burning on the inside to care about the nations and to care about prayer and to spend time alone with God every day and to lead the charge. You had Mike Bickle on this stage. He's a grandpa. And you know what? He's running night and day prayer and he tells the stories of salvation in his teenage years and he's never looked back. My dad's sitting right down here on the front row. My dad's 68. He's old. When I was a little kid, my dad, with zeal and passion, was talking about making disciples. And he was getting up early in the morning, staying up late. He's passionate. And while all the other guys on our street were spending their Saturdays and Sundays manicuring the lawn and going out and taking the boat out. And trying to be busy with so many other things. Man, he was in his 40s back then. But man, he was passionate. 
Today he's almost, he's 68 years old. He drives around with my mom full time, all the time. Preaches six times a week. You know why? It's fire on the inside. There's a passion that's real. It's not fake. Doesn't have to die out. My question tonight is what happens if you and I so know the love of God, so live in the knowledge of the love of God, so create ways where we come before him day in and day out and fast a day a week and open up our hearts to him and say, God, I want to encounter you and then set our lives apart and say, I'm going to, I'm going to not do some things that my culture's doing because I want you more than anything. What happens? Is it possible that we could be on fire for decades? Is it possible that you could be in your seventies and saying, God, I've sought you like David said, God, I've sought you from the days of my youth. God, since I, when I was a kid, God, since I was a teenager, God, since I was 13, I've sought you. Not that I've been perfect. No, I've fallen short a hundred times, but I've got back up because I know you love me. I'm just saying, I think it's potentially possible I think you and I can live with passion for decades in a culture that has so many other loves. The only way to be passionate for Jesus is to let him be your all-consuming passion. Our culture has people that are on fire for lots of things. Passionate about lots of things. You read the, the, the profile, you can see what comes out of their heart. See what we talk about. See what we Instagram about. Whatever we talk about, whatever we tweet about, whatever we post about, it is the evidence of what is going on on the inside. You're passionate. The question is not if you're passionate, it's what are you passionate about? Every single one of you is passionate. Every single one of you. The question is how, how passionate are and what is it for? When I look at... When I look at even going to like, you know, you go to Barnes and Noble and you see all these magazines where you've got, you know, the, the truck magazine and the hunting magazine and the duck magazine and the, and the better homes magazine and the, the, what else? I mean, it's everything. There's everything you can imagine. The muscle magazine and the, all the fashion magazines and the, the, the go on a, on vacation magazine and the trips magazine. And there's every, there's everything. There's the, there's the, how to mow your yard better magazine. It's, it's amazing. All the different, all of these things. And when you look at these things, here's what you can see. You can see all these different people that have some of these things that are some treasures that are their passion because they want to read about it. Let's talk about the celebrities or let's talk about how to, I don't know, uh, basketball or hunt or I don't know, all these different things. And you can find, kind of find a little bit of their heaven, a little bit about what, what, what they really love. You live in a culture where there is 10,000 opportunities at your fingertips and a culture that says, go ahead, engage in all of them. Whatever you want, let Jesus be a slice of your life. I want to tell you tonight, in order for Jesus to be your all-consuming passion, you will not be able to have hundreds of loves. You won't be able to have 
Lots and lots of loves. There will be, you will have to narrow your interests and your time and your energy will go more and more towards Jesus. And when you do that, it's called the narrow road. You will actually, you will actually deny self to follow Christ. And it will mean that your passion for God pushes out lots of other things. You go, no, yeah. No, but David, I want to be in love with this, 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 and have enough Jesus to just enjoy it all. That's nice. That's cute. But that's not death to self and all-consuming passion, loving the Lord your God with all your passion. Loving the Lord your God with all your passion is where he means so much to you that it's shocking how many things you desire to push out of your life. Because you want the things that he wants. And when you want the things that he wants, it's amazing how much he's actually scripted a way to live your life that takes up your time, money, and energy, and intelligence. To love the Lord your God with all your passion, all your energy, all your intelligence. I have to push some things out. No, I don't want to hear that. David, what I want to hear is I come to Jesus, I pray a prayer, and I live the American dream, and it's all for me, and Jesus loves me too. Just telling you, the American dream is the thing, in my opinion, that is suffocating our generation. And when I look at my generation, when I look at the guys who are my age, that are 37-year-olds, I'm saying it's suffocating my generation. When I look at the 55-year-olds, I think it's what's suffocating their generation. It is not the overabundance of persecution from the government. It is not the over-persecution from people calling you names. That's not the thing that's going to be the biggest distraction for you. The biggest distraction for you is all the opportunities and all the things that you've got and all the possibilities and all the things you can do. And you live in this great nation where you can do whatever you want and you can become great at all these things. And I'm telling you, in your future years, your temptation will be to have so many idols that Jesus slowly gets pushed out. And the challenge will be for you to love God enough to push out idols because he means so much to you. And that's going to be your challenge. Your challenge is going to be to so fall in love with God and to love him with all your passion that you actually come to the end of your life. You want to come to the end of your life and have not, hey, God. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Is the throne comfortable? Glad to be here. Hey, I had a hundred loves, but you know, uh, you were one of them. That's just not the language that we see in Jesus. Read the gospels, read all of Paul, read what you can. And you don't find that kind of mentality. Oh, that's a lot of what goes on in our culture. But if you just read the red letters, if you just read the way Jesus talks, it's a little scary. He's for real. This is not a game. This is not just church. This is real. This is our lives. This is our faith. This is our eternity. This is our eternal destiny. In the end, there's going to be a moment where you'll look back and oh, the blessing of, of coming to the end of your life. You're 81 years old and imagine if you haven't wasted it on a thousand lesser loves. 
I'm not talking tonight. I know we've talked a lot about sin. I'm not talking about sin tonight. I, I hate sin and all that. I'm talking about things that get in the way of Jesus that cause your passion to decrease. I'm talking about those things. I'm talking about coming to the end of your life and looking back and going, I've wasted it. Because in that moment, you'll go, no, actually, Jesus is all that matters. And I could have spent my time and energy in other ways. We took the DLA to Botswana, Africa. While we were there, I was reading about David Livingston. David Livingston came from Scotland and he, he went to Africa and he gave his life for Africa. And when he died... The natives loved him so much. He had given so much of his life in passion for Jesus, loving the natives, that the natives didn't want to give his body back. They're going to have him buried in England. And he says, you can't have him. And they said, no, you got to give him back. And they said, fine. And they cut out his heart and they buried it in Africa. And they said, you can have his body, but his heart belongs in Africa because he loved us so well, because he lived for us. And then the story goes that they brought him back to England and they were taking his body through the streets in a parade. And this man began to weep and weep and weep. And a man standing next to him said, sir, did you know Mr. Livingston thinking it's the only reason why this man would be weeping in the parade as they brought his body back and he looked at him and this old man with tears in his eyes, he said, no, I do not weep for Livingston. I weep for myself, for Livingston lived for something and I have lived for nothing. And I'm telling you, friends, there's going to be a moment where it won't just be the end of your life. There'll be a moment where we stand before God and we don't want to stand before God. And then all these trophies, all these things, and they're real. You have real talents. You have real gifts. You've got real callings. I mean, sitting right here is some smart people. Sitting out here are some people that can sing. So, I mean, out here are people that can ski. Some of you are going to be really, really good sports fans with nachos and chips and eating lots of dip. I mean, there's going to be, you, it's amazing the talent that's in this room. It's amazing the treasure that's in this room. It's amazing. I mean, you've got years and years in front of you. You've got energy. I mean, the potential of all the, all the things that you can pursue. It's pretty incredible when you think about what's sitting in this room. The challenge is, it's not just the persecution. It's not just the bad things. It's not just when people say mean things to you or something like that. That is the thing that is the most dangerous for your heart to not end up in love with Jesus. It's all that talent, all that possibility, all that treasure, all that you could have. Oh, you could have the American dream. And when I say the American dream, I just mean you can have the money, you can have the good life, you can have all these things crowd out the very essence of what Jesus said. He goes, I want you to love me with all your passion, all your energy. I want everything. Paul said this in Philippians chapter three. When you read this text, you can just feel the passion coming out of Paul. He says this, verse three, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for self for such confidence. And here he goes. Look at this. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. He goes, um, listen to this. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I mean, here's what he's saying. He goes, I'm a bad dude. 
I mean, here's what he's saying. He's talking about, I come from a good family. If you're circumcised on the eighth day, you came from a family that was carrying out the law. He was a good Jew. I mean, I came from a family that was doing the right thing. I even come from the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah, first king of Israel was Saul. Tribe of Benjamin, who knows? Maybe this young Saul was named after Saul the king. Part of that tribe, who knows? He goes, I was part of the, I mean, I'm part of the right tribe. Part of the right family. And he goes, I have social status. I mean, high Jewish status. I'm the tribe of Benjamin. I had wealth. I'm a Bible scholar. I'm a Pharisee. We think of a Pharisee, we just think bad things. But these are the ones that gave themselves to studying the scripture, memorizing the Torah. I mean, these guys were awesome. He goes, I knew the Bible. I had social status. As for good works, dude, I was even persecuting the church. I was doing, as for righteousness, righteousness based on the law, faultless. Here's what he's doing. For his day, he's adding up all of the treasures of his society. He's calling, I'm a Bible scholar. I'm smart. I got social status. For us, it's kind of hard to relate to that. So I figured I'd make it easier for you. So I'm going to show someone who uh, is someone who's, who's got this same heart where Paul goes here. But if it were in our day, someone similar, not an exact, but similar. All right, this is my friend, John Egan. All right, and I want to show some pictures of John Egan tonight. Now, John Egan, all right, this is my boy, John, right here. John, wave your hands. All right, there's John. John's words now. This is John. You want to talk about a good family? John Egan comes from an incredible, that's his dad, Jack. That's his brother, Dan. All right, John, John Egan comes from an incredible family. They go to Bethany in New Jersey. John grew up in the church. He comes from this great family, great heritage. John not only comes from a great family, but as John moved along, I mean, John started to experience some success, went off to ORU. Got a degree. There it is. Look at that young face. Got the degree. I mean, we're talking smart. So he's not only come from a great family, but he's smart. He's got it. He's got an education. And after education, if you keep moving on, John Egan. Oh, look at there. John Egan leading thousands of people in worship. I mean, not only, not only does he come from a great family, not only is he intelligent, But John Egan's doing something. I mean, social status. I mean, come on, Facebook friends and the like. And not only that, but John Egan loves the poor. And John Egan's the primary face of championing heart work to thousands of people around the world. Here's what I want you to hear. Now picture this. Picture Paul. He is that times a lot. And you could hear what comes out of his heart. This whole text is just like passion coming out of Paul. He says this. He says, But whatever were gains, to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing Worth or the surpassing greatness. Here it is. The surpassing greatness of being a success? No. The surpassing greatness. I want you to get this. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then he says this. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I don't care about the social status, the family, being the Pharisee, being per- perceived as Great. I know I've got 
success in all these areas. Doesn't matter that I come from the right family. Doesn't come those things. He goes, let me tell you how I see those things. I see those things garbage. That's a strong word. Rubbish. Garbage. Trash. Wait, wait, we're talking about really good things here. We're not talking about bad things. We're talking about good things. But the passion inside of Paul says, I count them as garbage compared to the surpassing worth or greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Yes, they're they're nothing to me compared to knowing Christ. Let me tell you this. These things, these things are the things we often end up pursuing. And these are the things, they're good things. But you know how quickly they begin to deflate our passion for Jesus because we're so intent on getting social status, the right family, the right wealth, the right respect. And those things are the things. The, Paul comes to the end and he goes, no, those, this is not what I want. He goes, those, those are the trophies of the wasted life. Those are the trophies of someone who doesn't know what life's really about. Yeah, you stand at the end and you go, I got, had social status, had the right family, had all these right things. It's the same prayer of John. Every time John writes a song, he's got the name Jesus in it like 25 times, right? Our promise is Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. It's all for Jesus. Sing to Jesus. All to him, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Why? Because John, deep in his gut, he's going, this isn't about me. John's all, and people are always trying to get John to get on stage. And John's pushing people. Why? Because there's the same passion inside of John. It's going outside of Paul. He goes, no, it's not about these things. Then one thing that I care about, the thing that's most important to me, I want to know Christ. The surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Friends, tonight, I'm desperate for you Because I am in my 13th year of doing this. And I know how easy it is to sing and listen at a conference. And how easy it is to say, let's do this. And how narrow the road is of people that a decade later, let alone decades, are still on fire for God. The way is narrow. Passion is don't let that trash heap become your trophy. You want Jesus and Jesus alone to be your trophy. You want to stand before him one day, lock eyes with him and know him. Go ahead, 75 years on the earth. And I knew you. I mean, Paul in this Roman prison cell and he's got this resolution in his heart that says, I'm going to know Christ. I, I'm going to give him everything. And I'm desperate for you to so encounter Jesus that you don't actually perceive in your mind that you're doing all the right things, but you actually don't know him. I mean, that's so easy to do. So easy to have a lot of these things that we have, say the name, think we're doing even the Christian religious right thing and not know Jesus. Paul just gives this whole example. He just talks about all. And look at this. Acts 7. This is before he's converted. Look at this. Here's Saul. Before he becomes Paul. Verse 54. 
And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looking up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Hold on a minute. Saul. Right family, social status, Pharisee of Pharisee, Hebrew of Hebrews. And yet here he is watching Stephen's death out persecuting Christians because he didn't know Christ. Acts chapter 9 Jesus appears to him. Everything turns around. And all of a sudden, all that becomes rubbish, trash. I'm desperate for you to so encounter Jesus that you know that you know that your life is about one passion. Jesus. My heroes is Count Zinzendorf. And he said, I have but one passion. It is he and he alone. One passion David, no, don't say that. No, no, no. We got to have 25 passions. Come on, let's live the dream. Let's live the good life. I'm telling you, I just don't find it. I'm telling you, I think the way is more narrow than we think. I'm just saying, I love the dance party. I love, this is my, these are the best three days of the year. I sing all the time. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I love this. This is Christmas for me. I love you guys. I'm not saying this because I'm angry. I'm not saying this because I don't like you. I'm saying this because I do love you. And I look at the way that we live and what we read. And I think when Jesus calls us to narrowness, I think he means it. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, our hearts have room for only one all-embracing devotion. Whoa. No, I got seven passions and Jesus is one of them. How do we live when we have one all-consuming passion? What does our life look like? What is your life? Not my life, not, not John Egan's life. What does your life look like with you having one all-consuming passion? What does your money look like? What does your education look like? What does it look like in your life, in your prayer life, in your fasting life? What does it look like? I'm not talking about doing those things out of legalism. I'm talking about you love so much. What does it look like? Maybe you are the witness to Christ, the one who goes into the world. You just can't help yourself about about talking about the one that you love. I'm just asking you, what does it look like for you? What does it look like in your own? What's your garbage list? What are the trophies of the wasted life that could potentially keep you from Jesus? Oh, no, not me. Yeah, you. Me. I got trophies. I got things I like. I like losing in fantasy football and minivans. I got stuff I like. I got things that are temptations to, cr- to crowd out my life, crowd out my passion. What's your garbage list? I love what John Eldridge said today where he was talking about that. And he was talking about sometimes it's actually service. It's actually all the good things that we're doing. All the good things that crowd out relationship. Fight for relationship. Fight for one passion. Jesus said in 
Matthew 16. Verse 25, verse 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Tonight, I'm not talking about all the ways that you can be effective. I hope you are. I pray you are. I'm not talking about all the gifts. I pray you walk in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about all those things. I'm going right at you as you prepare to leave this place. I don't want anybody to leave here without this resolution in their heart. I will have this one passion. It is he. Is he alone? He's worth it. I don't want to gain status, wealth, respect for the university that I'll attend, the right spouse, the boat, Chipotle, the right pets, vacation, the dreamy spouse, the comfortable nursing home. I'll get the American dream. Paul says it's lost. It's garbage to me. Problem for us is it's not garbage to us. We say, I want Jesus and I want the good life to boot. I want both. And nobody knows their own heart. It's a place we have to come to tonight. Surrendering. Be my only passion. Crowd out other loves. I want my affection for hobbies to decrease. You've only got so much capacity. It's just like this. If I were to look at that, if I were to say to you guys, hey, see the section 11? I love every single one of you with all my, and you are my very best friends and I want to do life with all of you. I mean, let's be, let's, let's do all our lives together. I mean, this It'd be a nice sentiment, but you're like, you got limited capacity, man. You can't be a best friend to all of us, right? No, this is Renata, my wife. That's my best friend. He's my couple of my kids down here, Dawson and Olivia. We do life together. This is my parents, Hal and Debbie. We do life together. But you know what? I got limited hours. I got 168 hours a week. I got only so much affection. I can only give so much time, right? I got to narrow, got to focus, and I got to push some things out. So that I can do right relationship with the people that I care about most. That's exactly how it is in your relationship with Jesus. If you have a thousand loves. Or a hundred loves. Or fifty loves. Or twenty loves. Then you only got so much capacity. You only got so much energy, time and intelligence. So how do you love the Lord your God with all your passion? With all your intelligence? With all your energy? I'm telling you, a part of loving Jesus is foregoing some stuff. I mean, pushing it out. And you'd be surprised. Your heart, over time, really will expand in love. I look at, I look at guys, I, I, I just, I know I keep talking about, but I just look at these old guys and they're my heroes that... Well, at Christmas this year, we were just having Christmas dinner. We're just hanging out. We had Corey and Anna Asbury over to our house on Christmas Day. We're sitting there, and my parents are there, and it's just kind of a hodgepodge hanging out. And all of a sudden, my dad starts talking about Jesus. Starts crying. He's bawling. It's just tears as he talks. 
You know how rare that is? You know why it exists? Passion. It's a life of forgoing some stuff in order to be close to one passion. One. David, are you saying we can't be passionate about other things? No. Love, love your future wife and love your family. And, you know, do some stuff like that. But I'm talking about we've got, a, we've got a wrong standard right now when I compare scripture to looking at our lives. My life. I'm preaching to myself. One passion. Just, I'm, I'm almost done. I can't imagine my family right now with my four kids. You know, like all the potential for us to do all these good things, all these good things. We're busy doing all these, all these good things. And all the, I mean, it's, it's fun to be connected to all these friends on social networking. And it's really fun to do sports. And it's really fun to have all these hobbies. And it's really fun to try to do money well. And it's really fun to have vacations. It's really fun to have a big house. And it's really fun to have a jet ski. And it's really fun to be able to eat Qdoba every day. It's really fun to have all these different things. And that's all it's really, it's really fine. We want to help all these different people do all these different things. But imagine. Imagine standing before the Lord one day and having done all these good things and then you don't know him. We stand before him. It's judgment day. You got one shot. 70 years on the earth. Psalm 39. We got life from your breath. I got some trophies. Hey, I got thousands of friends on Facebook. I knew lots of people. I went to lots of ball games. I got, I owned a boat. I got some trophies. No. No, they're the trophies of the wasted life. No, the trophies of the life that didn't matter. No, David, don't say that. I'm just saying, when you stand before God, here's what you want. You want a heart that loved He said, here's what I want first and foremost. I want love. I want people that love me with all their passion. That's what Jesus said he wanted. Oh, the funny thing about it is that's the way that he is. He loved with all his passion. He loves with all. He's saying, I want you to love with all. I want you to give back to me what I gave to you. The father loved, so he gave the son. The son loved, so he gave his life on the cross. Oh, there's love in the existence of the Trinity. They go, I loved you first. And because I loved you first, love me back. But imagine all these good things. Imagine, I love, I mean, all these good things. I'm raising, I got four kids right now. Can you imagine for me, if I, if we're not, and I go, we are going to be the best parents that ever lived. Watch this. I mean, we are going to do this right. And I mean, we have the right minivan, 1999, and it's awesome. And we got the right yard and we're getting our kids in the right education. And they never eat wheat and all that and sugar. And they're, they, they, they do, we're doing, we're doing everything right. I mean, we got them in the right clothes. They got the right education. And I'm driving them to a hundred different things so that they're got the right sports. And they go to skating parties. And, and, then, and then I go, okay, well, I got to make more money if I'm going to take care of these kids. So I'm working my tail off and I'm, try, you know, I'm making money for them and I'm saving it for them. And I'm doing all this stuff and I'm talking with them. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to try to get everything just right. Imagine if I did everything just right and got all the exteriors right. House right, car right, education right. I mean, minivan right. I mean, even uh, no gluten, everything. I get it all right. 
And then they turned 25 and I got it all right. But in the process of getting everything right, I look up when they're 25. One's a president. The other's quarterback for the Broncos. And two of them once married to the president. You know, whatever they are. If I look at them on that day and I got all of the labor right, but I lock eyes with them. Oh, the disappointment if I don't know them. Right? If I'm sitting on the deck and I'm like, Das. Oh yeah, I never really got to know you. I don't. Oh, the loss and the ache and the pain. I did everything right, but I didn't have relationship. Friends, you and I, our temptation is we're going to do all these things. We stand before God. And what mattered most was relationship. And we missed it. We had one shot. You got one shot. One life. Oh, you want to stand before God and have relationship. That's what matters most. I want to invite the band to come up and I want to read this in Matthew 7. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, Let me read that again. I don't know if you caught this. We're talking about people that did amazing things. Lord, Lord, Lord. Didn't we do the good stuff? Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we drive out demons? Did we do miracles? Imagine that moment. Lord, Lord, didn't we do these good things? Lots of, I mean, we're talking Christian things. We're talking spiritual things. We're talking about the things that you and I want to do. And look at this. Look at this right here. Then I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. I know it's hard right now because of the distraction. I want you to get this. Guys, let's just... just, Let's just stop for just a second. John, just, just have him pause for just a second. Just, just stop for just a second. Just, just stop for just a second. Stop. I want you to hear this. Jesus, looking at people who did good things, and he says, I never knew you. I want you to put your name in right there. Fill in the blank. And I want to make sure I care about you. I want to make sure that you go, God, I want to know you on that day. Did we not prophesy? Did we not do great things? I want to know you. It's all about knowing him. It's all about that relationship. I invite you to stand with your feet. You guys can keep going. There's no pretty music yet. Tonight, I want to pray. For those of you tonight that say, I want one passion. I'm going to leave desperation with one passion. I want to re-sign up again. Some of you, it's the first time. Some of you, you're like, I, I don't want to do the half-hearted religious thing. But tonight you hear this and you go, yeah, I, I, I want to give my life to something that's worth dying for. And that's worth dying for. That's worth living for. But tonight, if that's you tonight, you go, I want one passion. It is Jesus. It is he.
and it's he alone. If that's you, I want you to run to the front. Don't, don't walk, don't go slow. I want you to run up here. One passion. And I mean this, just one passion. Lord, we stand before you. We want to love you with our whole heart. God, I confess my temptation to allow so many other things. crowd out my time with you to crowd out my affection God I want one passion I want a holy fire burning on the inside care about the trophies living in on the planet today in this culture and in this world where there's so many options may those pursuits may they decrease that you might increase passion for Jesus be on the rise and love for myself love status money comfort respect intelligence may those hold nothing compared to the surpassing pleasure worth, joy, greatness of knowing you. Give us one pure and holy passion. Set our hearts ablaze. God, we want to be on fire for decades. We pray that in a year 2054, 40 years from now. I pray for men and women that are right now 14, 15, 16. They're going to live not shackled the chains, the loves of the planet, but passionate for the Creator that loves them. We don't want to play games, God. I don't want to play games. 
God, we lift up what we have to you, our dramas and our music and our sermons and our songs. Let's rise. It's all for now. It's all, it's all trash. If it doesn't take us to passion for you. stand before you and not have a list of things I did. Didn't I prophesy? Didn't I preach? Didn't I give? Didn't I witness? I want to stand before you, God. My eyes lock eyes with the one that I've been talking to my whole life. My my heart locks with the heart That's the consuming fire. We've spent decades together before I ever stand before you in eternity. Give us one passion. It's Christ. It's Christ alone. The worthy lamb that loves us. Place your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, I pray. Just like Jesus revealed himself to Paul, reveal yourself right now. I pray those whose hearts feel strangely on fire right now. And I pray, Holy Spirit, set a generation on fire. God, let the fire passion burn bright I pray for burning and shining lamps I pray for young men and young women ablaze in love with Jesus give us one passion I don't want to love you with part of my passion I don't want to love you a little bit love education a little bit love respect of people a little bit love my house a little bit love all these things and I want to love you above all else seek first Jesus and everything else doesn't compare to the surpassing worth of Christ for whose sake I have lost I've already died to those things for whose sake I have lost all things for 14-year-olds right now, God, that a decade from now will be worship, worshiping and remembering what you did for them on this day. I pray for 17-year-olds that are already a little disillusioned. I pray that they would, with resolution, say, I will know Christ. I, me, I must know Christ. God, I pray that we would not get so consumed in all the exterior things we could do. All the external callings, all the good things. 
Oh, we want to do good things. We want to reach the nations. God, we want to reach our generation. God, we want to give sacrificially. God, we want to do stuff. We want to live out our callings, God. But our first and foremost is this internal calling that we might know God. That's what we want more than anything. That's what we've decided to live for. Let everything else be as it may. Let a holy fire burn in our hearts, God. This be a holy moment. I pray that every man and every woman would not walk in fear, would walk in faith. stand before you. We don't want you to say, I never knew you. We want with joy tears in our eyes as you smile and you name us by name. You say, welcome. Come be with me forever. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. I'm going to do one more call tonight. Uh, it's just a little bit strong, but I just feel this burning in my heart tonight. Tonight, though, if I just want you to raise your hand, nobody's going to move. But tonight, if you, I, sometimes the Holy Spirit does different things while we're preaching one thing. I just, I just have this sense in my heart tonight, like there's some of you tonight that, that you, you're sensing the Lord calling you to give your life to reaching people in other nations. Like, it could be over the course of this conference, but something going on in the last few days that there's this passion and you want to reach people that are the different culture that's you tonight I just want to raise your hand high just raise it up the Lord's calling you Father I lift up these willing ones Father I ask Lord Jesus that there would be a great multitude of which no one could count from every tongue tribe and nation around your throne As you're going to do it, God, I pray that these faithful harvesters would go and be obedient to the call, the very thing that you're placing on their heart at this conference or in their life. And I ask for strength, God. Oh, God, help them as they navigate how, as they navigate education, as they navigate money. But God, raise up a generation that reaches the darkest places on the planet. God, we want to reach the people that have never heard the gospel once. God, I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would use young men and women right here to take the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ on airplanes and boats all over the world to huts, to houses and places that's dangerous. They're never applauded. They're never put on a poster. Nobody ever says, you're so cool but they love Jesus and they're in another nation on their face in intercession, boldly sharing Christ. I pray for missionaries. In Jesus' name. Amen. One more and I'll let you go. Well, I won't really let you go, but I'll let John lead. 
I, uh, I know that sometimes it's hard to know what it's like to be a pastor. Lots of people have different ideas about pastors. Sometimes I feel like sometimes I feel like people have good emotions, sometimes bad. But if we're going to reach America, I believe that one of the greatest needs in America are young men and women that say, you know what? I'm going to give myself to full-time trying to expand the church of Jesus Christ. So whether it's a worship pastor, or a youth pastor, or a children's pastor, or some, who knows, by the time John and I are 50, they'll be like, you know, internet dancing pastors or something. But if you just, if you go, I want to be a pastor, I, want to, I believe God's got a call in our country and I want to see America know Jesus. You feel like that's a call on your life. I'm passionate about not sending our best and our brightest do everything. I, I believe God wants some of the best and some of the brightest. We need the best and the brightest to do lots of different things, but the church needs some of the best and the brightest. So if that's you, if you, I'm, I'm called to be a pastor. I don't know what it looks like yet. I don't know what my education is yet. I don't know how. I don't know that yet, but I, I, I want to give my life to full, to, to, to full time. We need, we're all in ministry. We're all in ministry full time even, but I'm talking about in a specific way where you're going to say, I want the church of Jesus Christ not to be mocked and made fun of in America. I want it to be a city on a hill. I want it to be a light. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you too. Father, I ask, Lord Jesus, that in the coming decades, there would be young men and women that plant churches, pastor, serve people, pray, love, filled with integrity. And I pray that the church in the United States of America would expand and grow and become stronger. Jesus, you said that the gates of hell would not be able to overcome it. I ask in Jesus' name, Lord God, for a church that strong and that powerful. Demonstration in America, God. And I ask in Jesus' name, oh God, I pray, strengthen my friends. Give them might in their inner man. Help them, God. Bless them. I pray for worship leaders that would declare who Jesus is. I pray for worship leaders with humility and passion on the inside. I pray, oh God, that you would raise up youth pastors that serve a generation. Children's pastors and senior pastors. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a shout out tonight. Yeah.